figure since we uh, are all gathered in the middle here, try to get closer um, so I can see everybody. Uh, thank you for making it out on a very uh, interesting weather day. Um, for uh, those of you who weren't here last week, because it was also rather cold last week as well, and so uh, uh, this is a good time to plug that if you miss one of our messages, you can go online on our website and listen to the sermons online. Uh, so if you feel like, oh, I missed one and you want to catch up, uh, that opportunity's out there. Um, but what we're talking about is prayer. And we were framing this on the idea that you can do different kinds of updates. Sometimes your computer forces you to update, and that can be really annoying because uh, you don't want to necessarily update. And so the little restart button shows up on the screen. You've got five minutes or else. Better save your work. Um, but that's not what uh, spiritual upgrades, spiritual formation and development is like. Uh, it's optional, uh, which is a good thing for us in that it's, uh, we use our free will, but it means that we have to choose to take that spiritual journey, that path towards something deeper and something uh, more meaningful. Now, I don't know about you, but we are often told, hey, you should pray, or how's your prayer life? Or, uh, you know, these kinds of generic prayer statements without necessarily ever hearing um, more ways of praying. Like, how do I actually do that? Uh, and so this series is meant to give some uh, different kinds of prayers that might, um, you know, make our prayer lives more full with more other options, more other kinds of things that might connect with you on different moments. So last week we looked at Psalm 1, which is the beginning of a book of uh, hymns, prayers uh, that have guided a lot of people for a long time into their spiritual life. Uh, and it was a text that said, you have two options ahead of you. You can plant your roots down in God's wisdom and God's teaching and let that bear fruit in your life, or you can take the kind of fickle advice of everyday uh, world teachings. And so it, it's an invitation into that journey. And I thought that this week it would be really nice to look at a specific psalm that kind of gets more into a prayer life. And so we're reading Psalm 102 today. And it's what's called a personal lament. Uh, sometimes there's these laments, which are these like petitions or requests for God to assist you. Sometimes those are communal, like the community is saying, God, we need your assistance. And then sometimes it's personal of, God, I need your assistance. And so I think that really speaks to our individual prayer lives. Now you heard Bridget uh, read the superscript to the psalm, which in your Bibles might be in italics, might be like offset in a little bit uh, of a different way than the normal type. Um, what's unique in a little Bible trivia is that in the psalms, those little headings, when sometimes you might say like a psalm of David or something like that, those are actual biblical words. So like the superscript of this one, a prayer of one afflicted when faint and pleading before the Lord. That's actually the biblical text as opposed to often we get chapter headings that an editor just throws out there that might help you understand what you're about to read. Um, and the fun little Bible fact is that the Hebrew Bible actually gives verse numbers to those, whereas our English Bibles don't give those verse numbers. So the fun little seminary challenge is if it says, Psalm 102, verse 3, you have to know, is it in our English readings or in the Hebrew text? Because they don't all 
Each psalm is off by a verse, depending on what kind of Bible you read. Um, but this is actually a really interesting superscript. This is the only one of those superscripts that start a psalm that says a specific generic situation in which this might be meaningful for someone that's praying. So often it's like, it might put it in the context of David's life or some other kind of person, but this is the only one that says a prayer for someone who's afflicted when you're faint and pleading before the Lord. So it gives you this very real situation in which someone might say this psalm. And so the psalm begins, like many does, with an invitation to God to come join a conversation. The psalmist says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. So he he or she, whoever the psalmist is, is, is inviting God's presence, saying, I need your attention. I love right now, in uh, Gwen's stage of development, when she wants my attention, she grabs both of my ears and holds my face. You can't turn away when you've got the ears. So the psalmist might be saying, hey God, look at my face. I've got to talk to you. And interestingly enough, the psalmist has a lot to complain about. Now, we might find that strange. We might think, oh, we should just be really thanks, thankful. We should just be so praising of God. Uh, but the very first thing that the psalmist does is I've got a lot of complaining to do. Now, I want to mention that there are good complaints and bad complaints because a good complaint comes to someone who can and should do something about it. If you're complaining to someone who has no power and ability to help, you're just gossiping about it, you're just venting about it, Uh, But the psalmist is complaining to God who is able to do something about it. And you should also complain to someone who can be trusted. Uh, You might complain about something and then that person goes behind your back and makes your situation worse. Goes and gossips more about it to other people. Uh, Goes and makes that situation even worse for yourself. Uh, But the psalmist is going to God, someone who is trustworthy to bring those complaints, those frustrations. Now, what's fun is we've got three types of complaints that the psalmist is going to give. So he's got I complaints of like, I have a terrible situation. I feel awful. Uh, All of these me things. The psalmist also has they complaints. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. I'm upset about that too. And then maybe more scandalously, you complaints talking to God. Look what you've done. And so, in our text, we get the I complaints uh, when the psalmist, let's say, not to say, uh, he's not underselling this situation, uh, says he's not feeling very well. Here's what it says. For my days pass away like smoke. It's ephemeral. It's like vapor. And my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is stricken and withered like grass. I am too wasted to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my skin. Uh, The psalmist uh, is either using really great metaphors or is literally having a really, really bad day. Um, But I think we've all experienced that feeling. Uh, It's relative. Now, you might have experienced really bad health in a very serious, life-threatening situation. Or, as someone who just came, you know, just coming through the other end of a cold, Anytime you get sick, you feel like your world is falling apart. And everything just aches, 
and you can't imagine how you're going to make it to the next day. And here's that psalmist in that moment saying, my days are just like smoke. I, I, I barely have any sort of strength. And the psalmist goes on to complain that he also feels very, very isolated. I'm like an owl of the wilderness, a little owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely bird on the housetop. So not only do I feel terrible, but there's no one here to support me. I'm alone. And I'm also trying to say, God, show up. That's how alone I feel. As I feel like I, I have to even try to get God's attention. And so not only then does the psalmist feel terrible and feels alone, but he has some complaints about the other people around him. The they complaints. He says, all day long my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. You're having a bad situation when your name becomes a curse or becomes some sort of like slang for something. Like if I said, you're a Benedict Arnold, you know what I'm saying, but poor Benedict Arnold, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't deserve the pity, maybe he does. But you know you've had a bad situation when people use your name uh, to talk about something bad. Uh, there's what's called memes on the internet. Uh, There's sometimes humorous images or videos or pieces of text and that they get copied and shared and they're shared under new situations. But one of those is this crying Michael Jordan face. So like every time something bad happens, somebody loses at something, whatever, suddenly if you're on Twitter, there's a bunch of replies or Facebook, there's comments and people post pictures where they've put Michael jo Jordan's crying face over top of someone else's face. And so somehow, maybe the greatest player of all time in basketball is a meme for crying and for losing. And strangely, the meme comes from him crying at his induction into the Hall of Fame. You're supposed to be the pinnacle of your life, and yet it becomes an image which people use to joke and ridicule and mock uh, about crying. And so the psalmist is saying, those people around me, they're taunting me. They're even using my name as a curse. You've been, become a, a laughingstock to your community. And so the psalmist then turns to complain to God, which might feel scandalous to us uh, in a church context, because in church we don't necessarily want to think about that in the same way. But I think in people's real lives, when things get hard and they're, they're tough, people naturally often lash out with that. God, why did you do this? How dare you? And here's how the psalmist expresses that emotion. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have lifted me up and thrown me aside. That, that doesn't sound like how the song goes. You raise me up and throw me aside. <laughs> um, but he's like, you know, why did you even lift me up and then just throw me? Like, where are you? And so there's all of these complaints, all of this frustration. And then the psalmist turns. It's an important part of uh, most of the psalms when you get these kind of laments, these complaints. They, they then say, okay, despite my current cir circumstances, my, my current situation, God has been faithful in other moments, though. God has been trustworthy. God has been good. And then they start trying to recall those things. What has God done in my life? 
And so uh, one of the things that's, that's really interesting, though, is in his way of like magnifying God, he contrasts God with himself. So he's going to talk about how God's time is so different than his time. So he says, my days are like an evening shadow, which is a really beautiful image. Like, as the sun sets and the shadow gets further and further out, and darkness is coming faster and faster, and, and you can't stop it. You know, his days are coming to an end. He sees the signs getting longer and longer. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Your name endures to all generations. You will rise up and not throw us away. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to favor it. The appointed time has come. Despite the grandness of eternity and my own fleeting self, the psalmist still trusts that God will intervene, even though the circumstances around him doesn't seem like that would work out. And he has reasons why he thinks God is still trustworthy and still going to show up and intervene. He says, for your servants hold its stones dear. And its stones being Zion, Jerusalem, the temple. Your servants hold the temple's stones even dear and have pity on its dust. So in your grand scheme of all eternity, yeah, we're small. But we even care about just the smallest little, little glimmer of what used to be, what's in, in shambles now. Don't you see that even though you're so grand, we care about these tiny things. Stand up for us in this moment. And he says, another reason why God should stand up and should, should take action, the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. Not only will we recognize your, your kingship, all of the world will recognize that you are God as you intervene. The psalmist goes on to say, For the Lord will build up Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. Despite the grandness of God and our just tiny little selves, God hears the prayers of the destitute and doesn't despise those complaints, but hears them with 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 fresh ears. And then the psalmist does something that I really want to highlight for us today about a different type of prayer. The psalmist goes on to say, let this be recorded for a generation to come. Write this down. And that might be ignored by us in our modern society because we write stuff down all the time, we read, but in an illiterate culture, where maybe five to 10% of people could actually read, what is it to say, hey, you should write this down? Like there's a loftiness to writing something down. And it's a communal act because not everybody can read. Someone's going to have to read that thing later on and read it to a group of people. You're dependent on someone who can read. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet unborn may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who, doomed, who were doomed to die, so that the name of the Lord may be declared in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem, when people gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. 
And so I love that. Why does the psalmist think we should write down this prayer? We should write it down so that others might praise God. So suddenly that, that person is thinking beyond just themselves and their own situation. So people who don't even exist yet, let's write this down so that God's praise might, might magnify, might multiply. And so what's, what's also great is that that writing it down is being a part of that yet-to-come praise. Like the psalmist is taking that first step towards that praise, that celebration that will come, which he may not ever get to see. Um, so he's taking part in that future praise. And though the multitudes uh, have, um, through that multitude, we get the praise and the prayer, eventually, maybe when God looks at everybody praising and praying, God might look down, see the prisoners, and set them free. So maybe the situation that, get, that gets resolved isn't even mine. Maybe it's someone down the road who's going to get uh, freed from this. And so when they're free, the Lord's praise will again reign in Zion. And I want to mention that it's a uh, meaningful practice for us today still to write down our prayers. Now, there's one type of writing down prayers in which you're just like journaling, where you just write out the verbal words that you're thinking. Uh, and that's a very meaningful thing for some people. Uh, some people, uh, that's daunting. And they're like, I, I just can't do it. I can't write that much. I see the blank page and I just get stuck. And so maybe another form of writing down your prayers is something called like sketching or drawing, uh, doing some more artistic kind of thing for, for your prayers, in which the verbal kind of every little word doesn't matter as much, but you're making an image to God. And later after the sermon, we'll walk through a little guided thing in which you have a handout for about um, how you could draw your prayers. But the benefit of writing down your prayers or drawing your prayers is that you have both the process of praying as you're doing it and you have a product later. Like you can take something with you and that can be a reminder later. Like you can use that for your memory that throughout the day, whether that's your image, whether that's what you wrote down, you can take that and remember that prayer and keep praying that throughout the day. You can also uh, benefit because it's externalizing your prayer. Instead of only being in your head, you're putting something into the world, which is also trying to get you in the mindset of, of, of living out your faith, of doing something with your prayers, of, of living differently. I love, um, there's... Uh, um, a friend of ours who's a professor at Messiah College, Richard Crane, he had a really, really um, powerful image that he likes to use as an analogy, and that's the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And the question is, is when they signed that document, were they free? Because Britain sure wouldn't think you're free. So what changes when you sign that document and you write something down? Like what changes is, you're putting it out into the world that you're going to live by a new identity. And it's making that known and it's starting that process to live free. And so in some sort of ways, when we can externalize our prayer, when we write something down or draw it, we're trying to say, this reality is the reality I'm gonna live into. 
Uh, and that's a really beautiful thing to be a part of. And lastly, through that process of writing it down or drawing your prayers, you might find clarity. What you weren't quite sure was the actual prayer at the beginning might come into focus. As you spend time in that prayer and really dwell in it, you realize, here's what I'm actually concerned about. And the psalmist does that in this psalm. After all of the, what he said, he, he suddenly comes back around and says, quote, He has broken uh, my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, do not take me away at the midpoint of my life, you whose years endure throughout all generations. He's saying, like, let me stay here. I want to be a part of that future celebration. I want to be there when we rejoice and we praise your name because you've set us free. Help me get to that point. I want to be there for that moment. And so, with renewed confidence, the psalmist closes saying, only uh, saying, long ago, you laid the foundation of the earth, God, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like clothing, and they pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servant shall live secure. Their offspring shall be established in your presence. So with renewed clarity, the psalmist puts his trust that there will be children of your servants, and that their lives will be secure, that there's safety in God, and that those offspring will be established forever in your presence. And so, the psalmist offers us up some thoughts on prayer. That when you pray, maybe you consider inviting God into that conversation. Someone greater than yourself. Someone more than yourself. Voice those frustrations and complaints. Whatever grieves you. Think about all the ways God has already been at work in your life and how you have trusted God in the past and how you continue to trust God. Write down your prayer, that initial act that is already kind of speaking into that future reality. And in the process of that, listen for clarity about what your essential prayer truly is. And lastly, recommit yourselves and restate your confidence and trust in God. So, whatever is on each of our hearts today, let's write it down. Maybe that's not your, your only form of prayer life, but maybe that's a good additional supplemental prayer uh, that we need to be reminded of. Write it down so that it might bring joy, praise, and renewed faith, not only to you, but to people who aren't even here yet. Would you pray with me? God, on a cold, snowy day, we ask that you continue to warm our hearts, that you continue uh, to make your presence felt amongst us. Lord, we are grateful for all the ways in which you have brought us to this moment. And we all face different trials and troubles in this, in this space. But Lord, we are confident that you are moving and that you are moving not only us, but the world around us. And Lord, we ask that not only would there be even greater celebration, even greater praise, even greater uh, living out of your kingdom, but that we might be able to see it and 
uh, and sing and, and dance and celebrate in that moment with them. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.